Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. Now, this is not Joshua as in Joshua and Caleb. This is later. This is a man named Joshua who is the high priest of Israel, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. How many of you immediately see this is an unusual passage? What we've done is we stepped into a courtroom. We stepped into the throne room of God, the judge of all the world, with Joshua and Satan standing there. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, notice the change in the pronouns. You have the angel of the Lord. You have Joshua the high priest. You have Satan. And now Zechariah is actually speaking. Verse 5, And I said, Let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If thou wilt walk in my ways, and if thou wilt keep my charge, then shalt thou also judge my house, and shalt also keep my courts, and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land. Look at this. And I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, ye shall call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, what an amazing passage. And of course, we won't deal with everything in this chapter today, and we probably couldn't deal with it if we spent the rest of the year on it. But Lord, help us today to see your working with your people. And what an amazing God you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage and we made a spiritual application finding the gospel message that we would preach today represented here in Zechariah. And that is, it was a, it's a great application and, and the pictures are just there. They're, they're impossible to miss. But we would be mistaken if we only looked at the spiritual application and not the actual doctrinal and historical context of the passage. God is talking about what He's going to do with the nation of Israel. We've already seen in chapters 1 and 2 how through the different visions that God has given Zechariah, that God is not done with Israel, that He has chosen them, and that He's going to rebuild Jerusalem, He's going to expand their boundaries, and He's going to come and dwell in the midst of them. We know that from chapters 1 and 2 of Zechariah. But there's a problem. 
why in the world would God choose an unholy people? You know, if you went to Israel today, and I know I've told you this, but if you gave the gospel to someone under 18, they'd put you in jail for two years. It's against the law to give the gospel to a child in Israel. Why? Because they don't know God. Right now, they are away from God. God's going to bring them back to Himself. But right now, they're away. So how in the world could God choose a group of people like that? Well, that's what this chapter is about. We talked about the courtroom. The first thing that I want you to see is the accused. The accused. Look at verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. When you see that standing before the angel of the Lord, or standing before the Lord, we know that the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. But standing before the Lord, that's what the priest does. We could take cross-reference after cross-reference from the Old Testament demonstrating what the priest does is a high priest stands before God for the people. So Joshua here is representing the nation of Israel. And as he comes, let's look at this accused. He has no sacrifice. What did the high priest do? When the high priest, he would cleanse himself and he would go into the, the holy place and the holiest of all, and he would go before the mercy seat of God with the blood that had been sacrificed. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, he would make a sacrifice for the entire nation. One sacrifice for all. He represents the people. But here he stands before God with no sacrifice. Look at the way he's dressed. Verse 3, Now Joshua was clothed with, clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now, if you've read anything in the first five books of the Old Testament, you know that the high priest had royal garments. He had an ephod, a, a, this, this jewel-encrusted breastplate. He had robes that were pure and holy and special garments, but the high priest is standing before him wicked. That's the accused. That's the accused. No sacrifice, no golden ephod or royal garments, and no rightful means of access to God. You know, we live in a blasphemous age, right? Where God's name is used in vain constantly. Where, you know, some you know, just wicked athlete, you know, who lives literally like an animal will be interviewed after a game that he's won. Well, I want to thank God. Well, how about you thank God with your life before you thank him for winning a game that I'm sure God could not care less about? Can I tell you something? Is Tony Gronkse here? Tony, are you here this morning? I can promise you this. The Dallas Cowboys are not God's team. <laughs> you know, uh, how many of you understand what I'm talking about? You watch people, the way that they talk about God. You preachers on television, the way they talk about God. Politicians, the way that they talk about God. And sometimes even believers, the way that we talk about God. We live in a blasphemous age. But this age that God was dealing with here when God was speaking with Zechariah, it was truly... It was truly a godless age and a blasphemous age. And notice how the high priest comes before God with no rightful access to it. Why? Because they hadn't built the temple. 
What's Zechariah about? They had come back from the captivity in Babylon. They had come back into the land. They had begun building the temple, but they got some adversity. The king told them to stop building the temple. Now they've been allowed to rebuild it, and they stopped. They didn't do it. They have no rightful access to God. That's the way Israel comes before God by the representative Joshua in this verse. He's the accused. He's the accused. Look at the accuser. Verse 1, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. This is an amazing verse. This is an amazing verse. What I'd like to do is I would like to look at this accuser as he is presented in the Bible. Go with me to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10. Now, Revelation chapters 12 through 17 are very interesting. They're basically a parenthesis. And they are the story of God's dealing with Israel from the birth of Christ through the end of the tribulation period. But here we have... An interesting story. Look at what it says. Uh, why don't we start reading in verse 7. Revelation 12, verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Look at verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. Look at what it says. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What's this talking about? Here, Satan, the devil, that old dragon, is identified as the accuser of the brethren. Who are the brethren in this passage? Israel. Israel. They are. Satan is accusing Israel before God day and night. So what is happening in Zechariah chapter 3? It's not a special occasion. It's not a special occasion. Satan is constantly accusing the people of God, Israel, the Jews. How could you choose this pitiful people? Look how wicked they are. Look how evil they are. He's the accuser. Look at Psalm 109. If you get a commentary on Psalms and you look at Psalm 109, commentators really struggle with this passage because... It's a psalm of David, but David never talked like this. And it's obviously a messianic psalm, but the problem is that most commentators, what they say is we could never, as a holy person, we could never put these words in the mouth of the Savior. It's interesting. The reason they have trouble with this is they don't understand what's going to happen in the tribulation period to the nation of Israel. They missed that. 
We get that. We understand it. So when we look at this, look at Psalm 109, verse 1. Hold not thy peace, O God, of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. Now, what happened when Jesus Christ was accused? They lied about Him, didn't they? The accusers, they lied about Him. Then look at what it says in verse 3. They compassed me about with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. What's the only per- who's the only person that's ever been uh, crucified without a cause? Jesus. All of us deserve death. Jesus is the only one. Look at verse 4. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Now look at verse 6. Check this out. Compare this to Zechariah chapter 3. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. What's that talking about? It's Israel. Let Satan stand at his right hand. How do we know that this is dealing with Israel and their rejection of Jesus Christ? Well... Look at verse 7. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Verse 8. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. That's my word for President Obama. That's my verse for President Obama. Um, What is this? Some of you, that's the only thing you're going to get from this whole sermon. I've got to write that down. I've got to use this for later. What is this talking about? Well, verse 8 is quoted in the New Testament. So let's see if we can find out what the context of this is. Keep your place in Psalm 109 and go to Acts 1. Acts 1. Look at verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of his of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120 men. So, so here the disciples are gathered together, there's 120 people, and Peter starts speaking to them. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning who? Judas which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. So here, what did Judas do? He went out and hung, he hanged himself, and when he did that, he came apart. Imagine. Verse 19, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, uh, a seldama, that is to say, the field of blood. Now look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So here Peter is paraphrasing all the way back in Psalm 109, verse 8. So let's go back to Psalm 109. So this is speaking about Judas. 
All right? And what, what did Peter say in Acts? That the psalmist was writing about Judas. That's what he says. So let's look at it again. Verse 6. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. Verse 8. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Who is going to take Judas's office? Who is he? How are we going to figure this out? Go to John chapter 17. What was Judas, what was the office that Judas held that another would take? John chapter 17, verse 2. This is the one resisting. John 17, 12. I'm sorry, I said 2, I think. But it's John 17, 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, whose name... Uh, let me start again. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So Judas is the son of perdition. How many of you see that? If you see that, raise your hand. All right, so what is this talking about another taking his office? What is that talking about? Go to 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that, what's it say? Man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. The son of perdition. So is this saying that Judas is going to be revealed again? No, someone else is going to take his office. Who is that? Look at what it says. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that, he, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the son of perdition. That is Antichrist. That's who he is. Who's standing at his right hand? Who's standing at his right hand? Go to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 8. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into where? And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. What is this talking about? Antichrist. Antichrist is going to come and he's going to, it's going to look like he's risen from the dead and he has Satan standing at his right hand speaking blasphemies. How do we know that? Go to Revelation chapter 13.
Look at verse 4. And they worshipped the dragon and gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over all kindreds and tongues and nations. So here, God promises all the way back in Zechariah. God says that they're... Yeah, the the representative of Israel is going to come before me, but there's going to be one resisting Israel. And when's that going to happen? Always. Always. Until the end. Resisting Israel until the end. He is the accuser. He accuses man before God. And we see that in our text. He's there to resist him. But not only does the accuser, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, not only does he accuse man to God, and here it's Israel to God, but he accuses God before man. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Now the serpent, now we know who that is, that old serpent, the devil, we saw that in Revelation. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What does he do? He accuses God. Did God really say this? He questions God's word. So what is the accuser going to do to Israel? He's going to cause Israel not to believe God's word. And that's how they missed him. That's how they missed him. Um, Now, this is just off the top of my head. It may be wrong, but let's try Romans chapter 10. I think it's verse 3. Yeah, let's look at verse 1. Romans chapter 10. Brethren, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to every one that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall ascend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What did Satan do? Satan removed their belief and confidence in the word of God 
And that gave him ammunition to accuse them before God. That's what he was doing. That's the accuser. So you have the accused. They've got no right to stand before God. You've got the accuser, the one who not only defiles men, but then judges them for their defilement and accuses them before God. But there's a third person here. You have the accused. You have the accuser. But look at the advocate. Look at what it says. Back in Zechariah. Now you'll see why I was so excited to tell you about this. Zechariah chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee. You see, when Satan accuses the brethren, they have an advocate. Keep your place here, but go to 1 John chapter 2. Verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ. What's it say? The righteous. <laughs> Look, Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord. He's standing there. He's in he's in filthy garments. He has no blood. He has no sacrifice. He has no priestly garments. He has no temple. He has no access to God. No reason to be able to be there. The accuser is standing at his right hand saying, Look how wicked he is. Look how filthy he is. Look how disobedient they are. But there's an advocate standing there. And it's Jesus Christ. And He is righteous. He is righteous. And look... At what he does. You know, he's my mediator. That go between, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. That's who's standing there. And he is, he is the go between. And look at what he does. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. I want you to see this. First of all, I want you to see the Trinity. The Trinity. Look at what's, what's happening here. And the Lord said unto Satan... The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem. You have the Trinity right there. God the Father and God the Son speaking right here. That's the first thing the advocate is. Our advocate, he is God. What a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. So, he rebukes Satan. You know, we have... You know, what's the, what's the joke? How many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? It takes five. One to change the light bulb and four to bind the demon of darkness. You know, have you seen these people rebuking Satan? And I rebuke this, I rebuke it, right? You've got to speak over it, you've got to rebuke it. Well, let me tell you something. If you think that you can rebuke Satan, you've got another thing coming. Who rebukes Satan? Jesus, the Lord, rebuke thee. Let's see if we can find a cross-reference for this. Keep Zechariah. Go to the book of Jude. How many of you think you're stronger than an archangel? Jude. Look at verse 9. 
Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said what? The Lord rebuked thee. Look, we can't rebuke Satan because he's one of the most powerful beings in the world, but he's nothing compared to God. You know what I'm glad about? Jesus is on my side. Jesus is on Israel's side. Why? Because they're so good. They're so righteous. They're so clean. No, because of His grace. So what He does is our advocate rebukes the accuser. What a wonderful thing that is. What a wonderful thing that is. And He can do it because He's righteous. Go back with me in Zechariah. I want you to notice something. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Did, did, now listen, listen. Did the advocate, did the advocate rebuke Satan and defend Israel because of their righteousness? No, he did it because of his grace. They were filthy, and he was defending them. That's grace. Can I ask you a question? Who of us has the righteousness to stand before God? None of us. Who stands before God for us? Jesus, the righteous. That is so wonderful. That is so wonderful. He defends them in their filthy condition. Um, at the end of the tribulation, Israel is going to pray to God. We have the prayer recorded for us. Go to Isaiah chapter 64. Anybody thankful for the grace of God today? Isaiah chapter 64. Look at verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. That's their prayer. You know what's going to happen? He's going to rend the heavens. He's going to come down, and the mountains are going to flow down at his presence. He's going to do that. But look at what has to happen before he will do that. Look at verse 4. For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Behold, thou art wroth, for we have sinned. In those is continuance, and we shall be saved. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. That's the state of Israel standing before God. Do you see that? Go back to Zechariah. 
All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's what it says. Verse 3 in, in Zechariah 3, Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. That They understand that. They have to acknowledge that before God can save them. Do you see that? They have to acknowledge that. But their righteousness can never save them. That's why they need an advocate. That's why they need an advocate. Um, can I show you what God does? Are you in Zechariah 3? Are you there? Look at verse 9. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes. I will Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts. I will remove the iniquity of, the, of that land in one day. He will remove their iniquity. That's what our advocate does. That's what our advocate does. He not only defends us, he makes us clean. And we see that. How does he do it? How does this process work? Look at Zechariah chapter 3. How many of you have noticed that I can't stop intermingling our salvation and the salvation of Israel? Because it's the same God using the same process to save us. Um, look at... Uh, Oh, yeah, verse 4. So this is the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ. How does he accomplish this? And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. How is the nation of Israel made righteous? By the word of God. By the word of God. How are we made righteous? By the word of God. Listen to what the Bible says. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What's the rest of it? By the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So what does he do? Our advocate not only represents us, but through the word of God makes us righteous. That's what he's going to do for Israel. He stands before God and he not only represents them, but he makes them righteous. Um, then look at what he says. Verse 4 again, middle of the verse. Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. What does this remind us of? What is this change of raiment? Keep your place here. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 21. Adam and Eve have sinned. Look what he says. Genesis 3, 21. And unto Adam, or unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins, and he clothed them. What did he do? He shed his blood. Jesus Christ shed his blood to clothe us. Jesus Christ... When, when John the Baptist, in the beginning of uh, uh, John, the beginning of Matthew, he sees Jesus Christ coming, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Is that right? 
How does He take away the sin? He shed that blood. And we always understand that for us because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins and we're saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. How many of you believe that? But what was John talking about in that context? Israel. How does Israel get saved? The only way anybody else can get saved, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can make them righteous. That's it. That's it. Now, look at verse 4. I love this. Look at the, the, again, towards the middle of the verse. He says, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee. Who's the only one that can remove our iniquity? Jesus Christ. You can't do it yourself. You know, you might be here this morning struggling with your own sin. There's no way that you can make yourself righteous. Only Jesus Christ can do that. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. He's going to do that for Israel. He's going to do it. What a great God. What a great God. Um, that brand plucked from the fire. If you just write in your Bible right there, Amos 4.11. Amos 4.11. He describes Israel as that way. Do you know that we all deserve to go to hell? you understand that? Do you know what God did? He took Israel, these people that deserve to be burned and go to hell. And He chooses them. And He pulls them out of the fire. How do we know that's what that's talking about? Look at Zechariah chapter 13. Verse 8. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part, what's it say? Through the fire. We'll refine them as silver is refined, and we'll try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. See, he's going to pluck them as a brand from the fire. And that's us. The Bible talks about some people being saved so as by fire. I heard, I heard someone say years ago that that guy's swinging over hell on a banana peel. You know, any of us that make it to heaven, it's simply by the grace and mercy of a wonderful God. I want to finish with this. Look at what it says in verse 4 again. Look at verse 3. Now remember the whole, the whole purpose of this message, the whole purpose of this, of this chapter. God has said in, in Zechariah chapters 1 and 2 that He's going to redeem Israel, that He's going to bless them, that He's going to expand their boundaries, that He's going to dwell in the midst of them. Right? Why would He do that? Zechariah chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Do you know why God, why Jesus, God the Son, could stand before God the Father, and represent His people because He knew He was going to clothe them with a change of garments. You see, when God looks at Israel, He sees what Jesus Christ is going to do there. When Jesus Christ looks at you, when God the Father looks at you, He sees what Jesus Christ has done in you. That 
is mercy. Isn't it wonderful that God's not bound by time? I know all of you hope that your children grow up to do well. God knows exactly what's going to happen with that. He knows. I found this. I don't know who wrote it, but listen. What though the accuser roar of ills that I have done, I know them well, and thousands more. Jehovah findeth none. Though the restless foe accuses, sins recounting like a flood, every charge our God refuses, Christ has answered with His blood. (laughs) You see, there was an accused. It's Joshua representing the nation of Israel in filthy garments, no priestly garments, no sacrifice, no temple, no right of access to God. The accuser is standing at his right hand, that son of perdition who resisted Jesus, who resisted Israel. But there's also an advocate. It's Jesus Christ, the only one that can make Israel righteous and the only one that can make you righteous. And all I can say now is what a great God. Thank you, Lord, for your word.